Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verses 16 and following. I, every time I say, turn your Bibles to Matthew 28, I, I get this little tremble in my tummy. Uh, it's it's kind of like going to a... Uh, piano recital and playing a song that everybody knows. You know, if you make one mistake in the middle of that song, it's going to be a trouble. Uh, uh, I know, I know that you know this passage. And I'm really not doing uh, a message from this passage primarily to make us realize our commission, although I do think we all need to answer the question, have I accepted this commission? The, the main reason that I want us to look at this passage today is to recognize the power that God has given to each of us to be able to fulfill the commission that he's given to us. So it's, it's, it, I, I want this to be an enabling message in which you look at this and come away thinking, I get it. God has given me everything I need. So let's uh, read together to begin with. Uh, uh, actually, let me just tell you a little bit about the picture that you see up there on the screen. Uh, this is Matt Campbell uh, and his wife, Kristen, uh, we've known Matt uh, since he was a high schooler, and uh, he is now a, a chaplain in the United States Air Force. And uh, Matt uh, was commissioned as an officer in the United States Air Force on September the 14th, 2018. He'd been in training to be a chaplain uh, by the military uh, for over a year. Uh, And any of that time frame, he could have turned around and said, I change my mind. Uh, But frankly, friends, when he took his commissioning on September 14th, 2018, there was no turning back. Uh, His commissioning has impacted him, his wife, his family. Uh, The fact is, they live where they're told to live. Uh, they, they do the specific jobs they're told to do. Some of them he loves and some of them he doesn't love. But he does them all to the very best of his ability because he received a commission as an officer to do so. And I would love for us to think about the commission that God has given us in that exact same way. Uh, This morning, we'll look at three things. Number one, we'll look at the authority of our commission, uh, the contents of that commission, uh, what what is it actually telling us to do, and then lastly, the power of that commission. I think it's going to be something that you will be encouraged by. Let's take a look at the passage itself, and um, I decided I've... uh, I will read it together. Let's stand together out of respect for God's word as you follow along in your own Bible. Matthew chapter 28, beginning with verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In looking at the authority that God has given to us, I want to propose to you a resolve that I believe would be helpful to you in determining if you would uh, um, make or take this commission and make it your life and lifestyle. Uh, I proposed this yesterday in our seminar, and so those of you who are in the seminar, you've seen this before. We will come back to this at the end. This is kind of the invitation, so I'm going to put the, the wording of the invitation here at the beginning. You can be thinking about this as we... Uh, look at the message, and then determine if you would be willing to take this resolve as your own. I resolve to direct every conversation I possibly can to the theme of themes. Learn of that soul's need, and if possible, meet it. And so we'll look together at the authority that God gives us in this resolve. And it notice the background Uh, the backdrop that we see of this commissioning. And it begins there in verse 17 when he tells us that that they were, or in verse 16 when it says that they they went to the place where they were uh, appointed. You know that uh, this is 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, I know you know the story, but I don't think any of us can genuinely comprehend the hurt and trauma that the disciples experienced as they watched the one to whom they believed could be the Messiah breathe his last breath. All of the hopes that they had penned on him were now dead. None of them understand understood then what you understand now. And literally, everything they had hoped for is gone. You and I cannot understand the, the despair, the helplessness that they felt. Neither do I believe we have the capacity to appreciate uh, the joy that they experienced at his first appearance when they recognized there's more going on here than I recognize, and, and Jesus is alive. And now for these last 40 days, he has been coming to them periodically and giving to them uh, words of wisdom, helping them to understand the whole of Scripture so that now they recognize he came as a suffering Savior so that he might redeem them from their sin. And now this is the very last time that they will see him here on earth. Acts chapter 1 tells us that after Jesus said these words to them, he was raised up into heaven 
And uh, they, they're just standing there watching like the, it, 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 I, I can just imagine, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, I've, I've never seen anything like this. Wow. And, and uh, um, the angels come and they say, hey, hey guys, why are you looking up there? He gave you work to do. I mean, it, literally, that's, that's kind of the, the work that we see here. So all of that is the backdrop of what we are reading right here. Notice the response of his disciples in verses 16 and 17. The Bible says that they all presented themselves for duty. So if we're talking about a commissioning and taking a commission, every single one of them uh, came and showed up for duty. The Bible says the 11 disciples uh, went away into Galilee to a mountain to which Jesus had appointed them. So they, they knew where they were supposed to be, and they were there when they were told to be there. The Bible says that they all worshipped him. When they saw him, they worshipped him. And then we see these words, but some doubted. And sometimes it's hard for me to look at this and say, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm missing something here. I mean, they have seen the resurrected Jesus. They've been told the whole story now. So how is it that they can all present themselves for duty? How is it that they can all worship him, but some are still doubting? And, and I wonder if maybe that describes some of us here today. As far as commitment is concerned, you are all in. I mean, you are here when uh, uh, duty calls, you are committed to Jesus Christ and his cause. In fact, uh, when it comes to worship, you are all in. You want Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But I wonder if some of us are still doubting God's ability to help us raise those around us who are dead in trespasses and sin. Because that is the description that God gives of those who don't know Jesus. And I'm just going, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to turn and there'll be a few words on the screen uh, to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, God gives us a description of those who don't know Jesus. It says that they are dead in trespasses and sin. They are walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Literally, they are walking out of the energies of the devil himself. That's what, they, that's what it says about them. They are sons of disobedience. They are living in the lust of their flesh and fulfilling them. And when we watch the world around us, all of us recognize that. And it says here that they are by nature the children of wrath. I believe the key to understanding what God is calling us to do in regards to these that are dead in trespasses and sin is found in the next four verses of Ephesians chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy and great in love, has made us alive together with Christ, raised us up together with Christ, made us sit 
together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you knew this, but those are three words that Paul made up. Literally, I mean, they're, they're regular words that he put a, a prefix on that doesn't normally go there because now that Jesus Christ has defeated death, he has enabled us to defeat death with him. And he literally is saying to us that just like Jesus was made alive, we are made alive together with him. Just like Jesus was raised from the dead, we have been raised from the dead in salvation. And I love this phrase. He says that he has made us to sit together. And literally the word is we are right now seated together with him in the heavenlies. I don't know about you, but it doesn't feel like heaven here. But you know and I know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the fact is, in some sense that I don't totally understand, I am right now seated with him. And the only thing I have to do to be able to know and enjoy the reality of that presence is to drop this body of flesh. That's the reality of who we are in Jesus. And frankly, friends, that's the reality of what Jesus wants to do in the lives of those that he's called us to take the gospel to. This is not about you. It's not about me. We could never convince a dead person to rise. That's not within our ability. What God is asking us to do is not within our ability, but Jesus makes the difference. And that's the key that all of us have to believe and understand. Let's notice the commander of this commission in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying... Jesus, our risen, conquering Savior, is the commander of this great commission. This is the last appearance that he has given them before he leaves for good. This is his last command before sending them off into battle. You say, well, that's, that's a little strong. Well, think about this. When Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, Literally, he is showing the church on the offense, attacking in battle, hell itself. And the fact is that evangelism and discipleship is battle royal with Satan and his hordes doing everything they can to thwart our success. I don't know. I, I enjoy being able to give this illustration in this uh, uh, group. Uh, I have been to Gettysburg several times, and uh, I, I don't know if you've ever been there. Uh, there were Michiganders that were in Michigan and, and fought with Distinguish there in that place. Colonel Joshua Chamberlain was the leader of the 20th Maine, and he is credited for turning the tide of the Battle of Gettysburg. Uh, Chamberlain was a professor, a college professor, and in fact, he was exempt from the draft, but volunteered, took a commission, and in taking the commission, he 
took several of his students with him. He believed that this was a war for uh, redeeming. And listen to the words that he said. These are the words that he said to his men before the Battle of Gettysburg. This is a different kind of army. If you look at history, you'll see men fight for pay or some kind of loot. They fight for land or because the king makes them or just because they like killing. But we're here for something new. This hasn't happened much in the history of the world. We are an army going out to set other men free. And I believe friends, that that is a beautiful description of the army that God has right here in front of me. We are an army sent forth to make other men free. I don't know if you know much about the uh, uh, battle, uh, but the Union Army was stretched in a large hook shape. And at the end of that hook shape was positioned the 20th Maine. They were positioned on a little uh, uh, hill called the Little Round Top. And uh, Colonel uh, Vincent, Strong, Strong Vincent, excuse me, came to this regiment and said to them, you must hold the flank at all costs. And literally, they were the end of the entire reg, uh, uh, army. And Colonel Vincent knew that if you could get around the end of this hook shape, you could get in behind the army and destroy it. And he, he literally said, this is uh, necessary. You must hold this at all cost. Chamberlain said about that day, he said, I knew I might die that day, but I knew I wouldn't die with a bullet in my back. Um, I don't... He... he uh, and the 20th Maine had dwindled from 1,600 men as they left Maine, now down to about 314 for this particular battle. The two regiments coming up the hill against them were armed with 800 men each, 1,600 to 314. The 20th Maine were down to their last bullets and literally holding off the advancing ranks for even just a few more moments was now impossible. It was then that Joshua Chamberlain did the unthinkable and he commanded a right wheel bayonet charge in which he asked, in fact, commanded uh, the men underneath of him to leave the safety of the rocks and the trees they were hiding uh, behind and run down the hill in a sweeping motion so as not to allow anyone around them with nothing to fight with but the knives on the end of their empty guns. That move so startled and shocked the advancing southern regiments that they dropped their guns and surrendered. And not only did Joshua Chamberlain save the day that day, but literally it was the turning point of the war between the states. And it is probable that our country is different today because of the bravery that he displayed that day. Colonel uh, Joshua Chamberlain and the men of the 20th Maine took the command of their commanding officer seriously.
And I personally believe that you and I have the exact same responsibility, just like he did, to take that command seriously, that we have this last command that Jesus gave to us. I do think, though, that we have far more than bravery uh, uh, to lean on when Jesus uh, uh, told us the Great Commission, listen to the words that he uses to preface that command. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. These words portray the victory of the commission that he is giving to us. The word authority literally means state of control over something, resources or capabilities to command, might, power. Uh, This is the reality. When Jesus Christ was tempted by Satan, he was tempted with something that doesn't seem all that tempting to you and me. Satan took him up onto a high mountain and he showed him all of the people of the world. And he said, I will give all of this to you if you will just fall down and worship me. And I just want you to know, Jesus wanted all of the peoples of the world far more than you can imagine. He left the splendors of heaven to come down and purchase that. And now he was being offered everything he came for without the cross. But Jesus Christ knew that without the cross, there could be no real victory. And Jesus Christ went to the cross, died the death that you and I deserve, and then conquered that death through resurrection. And he is standing now today, literally having destroyed the curse of death because Jesus Christ has been given all authority in heaven and in earth. Jesus said it this way in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, I am he that lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore, and I have the keys of Hades and death. Literally, God gave to Jesus Christ the keys of death and hell so that He might hand them to me and hand them to you in the message of the gospel and send us out under his, not just authority to tell us what to do, but authority to enable us to do it. A.T. Robertson said it this way, Jesus was speaking as one already in heaven with a worldwide outlook and the resources of heaven at his command. His authority and power in his earthly life had been great, but now it is boundless. And this is the commander of the off army that is calling to you and calling to me to go and make disciples. Paul put it this way. He said, now then, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. I like the picture of an ambassador because an ambassador is someone who lives in a foreign country representing his home country. And the Bible tells us you and I are citizens of the New Jerusalem, that our, our exile here on earth is temporary. And in fact, God has left us here, placed us here to be his representatives, 
The fact is that every single person in this room that knows Jesus as Savior is an ambassador for Jesus. The question mark is, are we good ones or bad ones? I love the picture. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Before we accept this commission as our own, let's observe the contents of this commission. What is it exactly that he wants us to do? And he begins uh, the, the whole process by using the word, therefore. And, and I know you have heard this multiple times. It's kind of a cliche. When you see a therefore, look to see what the therefore is there for. Uh, but that, that's exactly what God wants us to do. And he's looking back and he's saying, because all authority is given unto me, because I have defeated death and hell, because I have given to you everything you need to accomplish the work that I'm sending you to do, go. Do you see the picture that he's giving to us? And then we see not only this motivation, but now we see the necessity. Go. We talked about this yesterday. The fact is we're not going to do much evangelism here in the church. Would you agree with that? I mean, the fact is that God does send us people that come in, and I believe every single person that walks in this door that you don't know, you ought to ask God, God, give me the ability to make sure that they know about Jesus. I, I, we shouldn't ever let someone come in these doors without making sure that they know the message of Jesus before they leave or before we're uh, 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 letting them out of our uh, uh, preview in terms of our responsibility. But the fact is that doesn't happen nearly often enough. If you and I are going to be effective at evangelism and discipleship, we have to go from here. And when I say from here, I don't necessarily mean from here, the building, but from here hear the people. This is the church. And, and what we have to recognize and kind of strategize about is, if I'm going to be effective at doing what God called me to do, I have to leave the sphere of friends that I have at church and go on mission. Go out looking for people who need the message. And then uh, not only do we see that he wants us uh, to, to go, uh, but he gives us a three-step goal with, with our going. Here, here are the three things that he wants us to do in regard to uh, uh, going. Number one is conversion. He says, I want you to make disciples of all nations. Uh, the, the phrase here, make disciples, is a process. Would you agree with that? Making a disciple is not something that happens in a day. And so I, I would recognize that sometimes there is actually a process that leads up to the moment of conversion. And then, of course, we know there's a long process, you and I are all still on it, of growing and being discipled after that conversion. But I want all of us to recognize conversion is not a process. Conversion is a miraculous miracle that is 
literally happens in a moment, in a, in, a, in a twinkling of an eye. At one moment, a person is dead in trespasses and sin, and in the next moment, they are alive in Jesus Christ. At one moment, they are literally held captive in the kingdom of darkness, and in the next moment, they are translated into the kingdom of light. It is, and here's what I want you to know. It is a miracle. It's a miraculous event that only God can do. And he asked you and me to take a message. And the message is what gives people the ability to see that miracle happen in their own life. I want you to believe that because I don't want to carry the responsibility to convince people. It's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. My job is to carry the message. Here's what I want you to know. The message is powerful. The message is what does the work of God. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it, the message of the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation. I personally believe that God is calling people to himself and that you and I find those people By giving them the message. And God does that miraculous work of converting them. Conversion. It's a beautiful reality. And then notice he says, I want you to be making disciples of all nations. That would include people in your neighborhood. That would include people that look just like you. That would include people that are not in your neighborhood. That would include people that don't look a thing like you. And the fact is that God wants us to reach all people. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I hear that God wants me to preach the gospel to every creature, it gets a little overwhelming. And I, my wife calls me a frustrated perfectionist. I, I am a perfectionist. I like everything to just be so-so. But when I can't get it just the way I want it, sometimes I don't try. <laughs> you should see my desk. <laughs> and, and so uh, uh, I, I kind of am in that way with this command. Man, I just look and h- how in the world? And I, I love this thought. I was in the, uh, the Philippines with my friend Mike Reddick, and I know that Mike has served in the Philippines for years. And I happen to know that there are people right now in the ministry that Mike met when they were in elementary school. And he began to support them, pay their school bills, help them, help them all the way through college, help them to be able to get ministry training. Uh, In some cases, literally bought off contracts so that they might be able to serve in the ministry. And I look at all of that, and it's overwhelming to me. The first time I was in the Philippines, here's what I was overwhelmed with. Everyone here is poor. And I, I, I went to him. I said, how do you know who you're going to help and who you're not going to help? I mean, how do you know? And I, I will never forget what he said to me. He said, Jeff, just because I can't do something for everyone doesn't mean I shouldn't do something for someone. And here's what I want you to to really come away with this morning. You can't take the gospel to everyone, but you can take the gospel to someone. 
And here's what I would love for you to ask God. God, would you give me my someone? Just think if every single person in this room got someone and we saw them converted. Just think of what it would do. Just think of what it would do, not just here in this place, but in the kingdom of heaven. And so God wants us to aim at the nations. And then secondly, uh, not only does he want us to see conversion, but he wants us to see a connecting. And I say that because he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Several things we see in that phrase, but number one, we see the imperative of the local church. Think about this. You can do evangelism on a college campus. You can do evangelism uh, uh, um, out uh, uh, away from miles and miles and miles away from churches. But when it comes to baptism, where do we do that? And I'm not talking about in a baptistry in a church building. I'm talking about it is a church group that baptizes people. And I just want you to know this commission was given to us as a local church. This is our local assembly's responsibility. This is us. But it's not just we do this, but we see them saved and then we bring them into our assembly. That's, that's, that's the process here. God's great commission is not just go see people saved. God's great commission is see them converted and see them connected to the church. The baptism is the entrance into the local church. So when he tells us to baptize them, it's not just make sure you get them wet after they get saved. But literally what he's saying is make sure you get them into church after they get saved. It is the fellowship of the church that builds people. I personally believe that all ministry is relationship. Now, I love the fact that there is information involved in growing because your preacher stands behind this desk and preaches from this book and you probably learn something every week you leave and I I love that but I'm wanting you to know something that is only a small piece of what church is what you were doing in the lobby before you walked in here what you're going to do after church this morning, standing in the pews and standing outside, that's church too. And God gave us the fellowship of each other to encourage each other, to build each other up. And I praise the Lord that the, that the mandates have been lifted and that we have the ability to meet together. And I praise the Lord. I praise the Lord for streaming. I, I don't want you to ever stop that because, frankly, we're reaching well beyond the walls of this building by being able to do that. But that's not the same thing as church because church is not a sermon. Church is the fellowship of each other. And there's an allegiance in the church. Listen to the allegiance in the name of the Father and the Son the Holy Spirit. Our, our allegiance to each other is not just allegiance to each other. Our allegiance to each other is allegiance to God himself. And then thirdly, there are three things he wants us to do. He wants us now to commission them. 
So he wants us to see them saved, converted. He wants us to see them connected in and, and functioning in the local church. And then he wants us, listen to the words, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. We are to lead these people to follow Jesus. That's, that's the command. Not just to be saved, but to follow him. That is what salvation is, is following Jesus. And part of following Jesus is receiving our commission so that we might be able to go. I love the picture of the circle of ministry. Seeing people saved, seeing them discipled, and then seeing them trained so that they can lead people to Christ and disciple them. And on and on and on the ministry goes. And then notice the power of the commission. And here's a promise. You are not alone. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And he doesn't mean lo, not in the sky. He means Behold, this is amazing. We were talking about this in Sunday school this morning. We live in an age in which the Holy Spirit is resident. I mean, not just that he's zooming around, but literally resident with us everywhere we go. I love this thought. Ours is a co-mission. We get to go with him. We don't do it by ourselves. We go with the Lord. And I believe God wants you and me to be appreciating His presence. Literally, I, he, he wants us to be willing with the apostles to say, it, is, it was good for us that Jesus left because He sent the Holy Spirit. You and I need to believe that the Spirit of Christ in me is better than Jesus Christ standing beside of me. Literally, we have to appreciate that. And then not just appreciate it, but practice it. Living every moment of every day, believing that Jesus is with me. You and I can step out in confidence to talk to our neighbors, knowing that he is going to help us. We can step out. And by the way, if I didn't believe that, I would not be standing in this pulpit this morning. If I I didn't believe that when I stood up to speak God's word to God's people, the Holy Spirit wasn't going to help me. I would never try to do this. But here's, here's something awesome. Last Sunday morning, I preached a message, and somebody came to me and said, I so appreciated your saying such and such. And I'm thinking, I don't remember saying that. <laughs> and I'm not even sure I did say it, but here's what I do know. The Holy Spirit took what I did say and applied it to the specifics of what that person needed. And here's the cool thing. It's not just that he helps me to talk, but he helps the person that I'm talking to to hear. So the Holy Spirit is making the difference. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is in the world convincing the world, the lost man, of sin and righteousness and judgment. The very things that we're talking to him about in the gospel, the Bible promises me the Holy Spirit is going to be convincing him of those things. So I can be confident stepping out both in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the communion with the Holy Spirit, him doing his work in the life of that person. Faith is not just believing that God can do something. Faith is believing that God will do it through me to the point of stepping out. And when you and I take steps of faith, God always meets us right there with his grace. But don't wait to be graced to go. 
God waits till we take steps of faith to give us his grace. You're not ever going to feel strong. You're not ever going to feel ready. But I promise you this, you are not alone. The Holy Spirit is in you. He is going with you. He has given you the message of the word of God. And you have the ability to accomplish what God called you to accomplish. Jesus promised all power, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And our response should be amen. The word amen literally means let that be true in my life. And I would just plead with you, let that be true in your life. Father, thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, I thank you right now for the Holy Spirit working in the lives of each person here who's been listening. And Holy Spirit, I plead with you that you would stir hearts and you would help us to recognize that we can in the name and the power of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be willing to take steps of faith. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Two quick questions. I wonder how many would say, God has stirred my heart this morning. I want to take that resolve. I want to resolve to direct every conversation I possibly can to the theme of themes. Learn of that soul's need and, if possible, meet it. God has stirred my heart today. I want to take that resolve as my own. Would you pray for me? Would you slip your hand up right there where you are? I see hands all over the room. That is so encouraging. Thank you. Thank you. One more question I'd like to ask this morning. I wonder for someone here you'd be willing to say, if, if I'm not sure, I'm on my way to heaven. I want to be sure. I'm concerned about it, but I'm not sure. Would you pray for me? Just like these others will not come to you, will not embarrass you, but you're willing to say, I am not sure, preacher, but I, I want to be sure. Please pray for me. Would you slip your hand up right there where you are? I am not sure, but I want to be sure. Please pray for me. Anyone like that this morning? I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven, but I want to be sure. I am concerned about it. Preacher, pray for me. I'll not come to you and not call you out. I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. Please pray for me. Just slip that up and put it right back down. Is there anyone like that this morning? Not sure, but I want to be sure. Father, we thank you for the work that you're obviously doing in our midst. Lord, we ask that this would be a week of genuine revival of evangelism and discipleship in each of our lives. Lord, would you work in such a way that we would not only take steps of faith, but that we would be able to see genuine conversions, genuine connections, genuine commissioning, so that we see that circle of ministry going on and on and on here in this place. And we pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.